Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Brian O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. Today I'm sitting down with Rolando Esquivel, crew creator on Mashbone and Grifty, a new project coming out with Scout Comics on their Latinx-focused imprint, Chispa. Mashbone and Grifty is a satirical action comedy about two friends who can't quite get right, starting their own detective agency in a South Texas border town. Rolando, welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, well, Mashbone and Grifty are detectives, but kind of less in the vein of Holmes and Watson and maybe more in the vein of Beavis and Butthead or, or maybe Cheech and Chong. So what were yeah. your, your influences behind the characters in this story? Um, actually, those are two of the bigger influences, honestly. Uh, we, we grew up on, uh, on a lot of crazy comedy, a lot of buddy comedies and stuff. So uh, definitely uh, Cheech and Chong were right up there. Um, and Beavis and Butthead, I mean, the, we were like probably 10, 11 years old whenever they came out. So, uh, so yeah, so that definitely had, had some influence on there. Um, a lot of other stuff that we've just like read that we've, uh, that we watched, you know, different movies and stuff. Um, like the big Lebowski, you know, is kind of, uh, oh, yeah. also an inept kind of detective kind of tale. Um, that's our favorite movie collectively. And, and, uh, and yeah, so definitely a lot of influence from that. Um, in pretty much every issue of Mashwood and Grifty, we have like some kind of, uh, a reference to the big Lebowski, in fact. Um, so there's that. And then also just a lot of like, like animation, you know, a lot of cartoons, a lot of the Looney Tunes stuff. Um, that's why most of the violence that we have in our book is just cartoonish violence, um, sure. because of, you know, very, very heavy with like the, the Looney Tunes, uh, uh, the Looney Tunes lore and all the, all the goofy stuff that they did. Um, but those are just so, some of our influences, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch of stuff in there, man. Um, also, uh, wrestling for sure. Uh, we're huge professional wrestling fans. And the way that that comic storytelling and wrestling storytelling, like or storytelling in general, I mean, the, the way it pans out, it's it's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bret Hart was one of my favorite professional wrestlers, and he had this book um, that part of the title was "My Life in the Cartoon World of Professional Wrestling," um, and that's really what it is. It's like a cartoon come to life, a comic book come to life. So, uh, so kind of the um, the peaks and valleys and like the the action and stuff, and in the story, we we kind of draw a little bit from wrestling from that too. You know, because there's that whole, you know, good guy getting beat down and then he's got his big comeback kind of thing and, you know, winning in the end, you know, and, and you have to be creative with how they win in the end. Otherwise, it gets stale. So, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of that that goes into it, too. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll have to come back around to that. Um, in what seems like another life, I was a production assistant for WCW and oh. WWE back in the day. So OK, that is awesome. Heck, yeah. Yeah, so I actually have cut my teeth writing a few scripts for the show, and yeah. okay, very yeah. cool, man. That's awesome. Heck yeah, I did not know that. That's super, super interesting, super cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that in a bit. But uh, so I feel like comics, though, is, is sort of moved away from this, you know, the lighthearted belly laugh, you know, kind of oriented tales, and and more towards dark humor, you know, yeah. with a lot of cynicism in it. Yeah. Um, I think we're all exposed to enough of that every day these days. Every day, so, yeah. you know, what made you want to kind of take a more of a, a lighthearted approach to the book? Um, honestly, that's just been us. Um, we've always like the at, at first, like what we would always say is that these characters are kind of avatars for myself and Oscar. Um, and in in the way that they that they approach life and stuff like that, you know, because they, they are lighthearted, and that's the way that, that we've been as well. 
Uh, that's not to say that we don't appreciate some of the darker stuff because we do have some dark humor in our book too. Uh, but but yeah, and a lot of it is like what you're saying is that there's so much dark stuff and cynicism in the world already. Um, we didn't really want to continue to add to that. Um, and you want to talk about the wrestling analogies. Um, we didn't. We wanted this to. We wanted for Matchwood and Grifty basically to be like a good guy's good guy kind of thing. Uh, not necessarily being um, like a like a Stone Cold Steve Austin where they're like antiheroes. Sure. Um, because there's a whole heck of a lot of that in comics, in entertainment in general. Um, so we didn't really want that. Um, and it's not to say that that Mashwood and Grifty are like goody goodies because they're they're really not. Um, it's just that they're very um, they're very innocent in in um, in what they want to do and in their goals. Like they're very kind of pure of heart that way. Especially Mashbone. Um, Grifty is kind of uh, the way that we describe him is Grifty's more like the phony tough, and Mashbone's like the crazy brave one. Um, so Grifty's kind of has something to prove a little bit, uh, but his heart's in the right place, but he still kind of has a chip on his shoulder. Uh, Mashbone, he's just kind of, he's just doing his thing. He's just going through life, you know, and that's really what grounds the comic is Mashbone's just his, again, his innocence, um, his, his gullibility too. Um, but, but yeah, the main reason that we wanted to, to just keep it lighthearted is because, because of the fact that you don't really see a whole lot of that. Um, it's a little bit more difficult to do. Um, I think the this day and age, um, that type of comedy, but I feel that we're executing it pretty well in this book with these characters that, that we made. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved it, you know. So what are what are kind of some of the key elements to getting comedic timing right in a comic book? You know, is it and is it easier doing that when you have a, a partner that you're working with? Uh yeah, for sure. Um uh, yeah, for for the writing aspect of it, absolutely. Um, whenever we first started doing the book, we we pretty much did all of it like together, like the writing, uh, the first issue, um, or the first story, I should say. Um, then after that, you know, I was kind of uh, while Oscar was completing, you know, uh, drawing that that first uh, story, um, you know, I was continuing with the writing and everything. So uh, we would go. I would I would send him uh, samples of of you know of, of script. And his feedback sometimes would be like, I don't get it, you know, because he didn't get the what the what the joke was, you know, so it helped me with my writing. But it was it was a, it was difficult if I would it would have been more difficult if I had to do it alone. Um, but, yeah, having a partner definitely uh, helps, you know, to, to kind of ping pong stuff back and forth. Um, now, as far as like there's I don't really think there's any kind of like trick to it. Um, a lot of it. Um, and the re the reason that I say that it was helpful to have the partner is because we both have similar influences. Like we both have similar likes and everything for, for comedy. That's what we bonded with. We've known each other since we were kids. Uh, I guess I should say that as well. Uh, we've known each other since the eighth grade. So we know how we work, right? Um, we know what we like and stuff like that. Um, so that's where the ping pong and stuff back and forth comes into play. Um, we're familiar with, with, with what each other knows. We're, you know, it, it, if we say, hey, yeah, you know, uh, you know, this is like that one episode of Looney Tunes where Bugs Bunny does this, you know, then we know exactly mm -hmm. what we're talking about. Um, but, but yeah, it's definitely much more helpful to, to have a, a writing partner. Um, but it, it does go back to those influences, you know, what's the kind of stuff that, that we liked, you know, and what's the kind of stuff that I liked, you know, I, I liked more of the kind of, I guess I appreciate a little more of the, the high, not necessarily highbrow, but more of like the clever, like Mel Brooksy kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Oscar's a little better with like the more Beavis and Butthead physical, kind of like uh, a little more gratuitous kind of stuff, but with that, just turning up the comedy on it 100%. Um, so so we're kind of yin and yang in that respect. Um, so we're both very comedic-minded, um, and, and that's what was ultimately helped to bring the whole thing together. Um, I, I wouldn't have been able to, to, to make this 
specific book by myself for sure. Uh, it definitely helps to have someone else. So you guys are the odd couple, you know, the back, you bounce <laughs> yeah, out, yeah. And it's weird because you know we because if you ask other people, you know, folks will tell us that you know we're we're like two halves of the same coin. You know, we're kind of the same person. Um, but we're, but as we get older, like I'm realizing how, how different we actually are, but, and that is what helps, um, the, what helps us accomplish this stuff together is because we are kind of yin and, yin and yang, um, at our core, we are, you know, our sensibilities are very similar, you know, um, our hearts and usually in the same place. Uh, but, but yeah, we, we, we were also raised in different types of households too, and, and have, you know, different kinds of, even though we have this similar background with the same city and all that, we, we also have different kinds of backgrounds within our same culture. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty interesting kind of developing this book. And then, you know, as we find out more about these characters, also kind of finding out more about ourselves as we work more and more on it. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a real pleasure for sure. in in that respect. So you guys both grew up in a South Texas border town in, in Brownsville. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. We were both uh, born and raised in Brownsville, Texas. Uh, actually we both also around the same time, uh, moved to the Dallas, Texas area for a little bit and then moved back uh, down to Brownsville, uh, which is pretty interesting that we, we, you know, we didn't know each other at that time and we both went that, that route, but yeah, we're both from, uh, from Brownsville, Texas, born and raised. Um, after high school, we both went to Houston, uh, to go to college. He went to art Institute. I went to, to community college, got my associates, um, but, but yeah, then after that, it's just, you know, I've lived here, there and everywhere. Uh, Austria's pretty much been in Austin, but, uh, since, since we were in college, like the goal was to, to do something with Mashbone and Grifty and, um, and here we are, uh, you know, I'm going to age myself, but, uh, 20 years <laughs> later about, you know, about 20 years later and it's going to be on, on, uh, on bookstore shelves, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to have that accomplishment, um, you know, with your, with your childhood buddy. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, well, well, this book has, I think, one of the most unique calls to adventure I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> I can't quite ever recall seeing uh, it kicking off with, hey, someone stole my cock, you know? That, yeah. That, that, that's, that's a bit different. Different. Yeah, yeah. That, and man, and, and, along, and along those same lines, like, I guarantee anybody that's listening, uh, everybody that's listening, uh, you're never going to read a book that's, that's, you haven't read a book yet that's like Mashbone and Grifty. I can guarantee you that. And uh, not just, you know, because of stuff like that, but also just because of where it comes from, you know, it, it comes from us. It comes from, it's a basically a celebration of our hometown culture. Um, yeah. But of course we, we turn it up, you know, we turn up the entertainment value on it um, all the way. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a celebration of that. So that's why I say like, you're, you're, you're never going to find this type of comedy done this type of way and in, in, in any, and anything else that, that you see right now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, our hometown definitely affected that. And, and that call to action, I mean, that kind of stuff, that's, that's also kind of the brand of our culture's humor. You know, we're, you know, we, we talk a lot of smack and we say a lot of inappropriate stuff, but, um, but a lot of it is double meaning. Uh, there's a lot of double meanings and, and that's what you're going to find with that call to action too. Um, that's, you know, there's double and tundra and stuff there. And that's kind of the stuff that I really love is like the wordplay and everything. And actually, I guess is a perfect example of, of how we work together. So, um, so Oscar's kind of, uh, so in that part, like that, that line, uh, that call to action line, uh, that's kind of Oscar's brain. Right. And mm-hmm. then just the fact that it is double and tender and how we continue to work with that. Like that's kind of more of my brain at, at work there. Um, we, again, we did the book uh, for the most part together. We wrote it together. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that just kind of shows like how we're able to mix like what, what we love about comedy together to kind of make this, this weird thing. 
in this case, uh, that dude busting through the door and, and saying that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm always looking for those little, little details or, mm-hmm. you know, Easter eggs in comics. Um, there's one thing that really jumped out to me in there too, that the bootleg cassettes, uh, which were in the <laughs> background of the bar. Yeah. So there are these, these cryptids that are mentioned in there, which I mean, obviously cryptic creator corner. We love yeah. that. Um, but you know, instead of kind of, embracing some of the local cryptids you, you know you get bigfoot or ogopogo which is mm-hmm. like that's canada uh, so so much of the landscape of mashbone and grifty is kind of centered around where you grew up so mm-hmm. that was kind of a curious choice to me although you know mashbone does look like the love child of like bigfoot and Captain <laughs> so like, uh, it does sort of fit you know yeah so uh so the bootleg tapes that's actually uh, those are bootlegged unsolved mysteries cassette tapes yeah, um, we were we were both big unsolved mysteries fans when we were kids. Uh, okay. So those so those were just like you know what we remember that they would put on the show. Um, so that's why we didn't put like you know like the case of like Yorona and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it was it was kind of like directly influenced by by that stuff. Um, but also as far as Mashbone and Grifty goes, um, that's what you're mentioning right now is kind of a, a big part of what it is. What this whole the purpose of this whole putting this together is. Um, we're both. Uh, both me and Oscar are border town kids. We grew up here in the United States, just happened to be on the other side of the border. Um, but we grew up on both sides, right? Um, so we have family. We have family over there, you know, as little kids going to Matamoros and, Tam- and Tamaulipas, um, you know, doing stuff over there, uh, visiting with families, going to the beach and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we're we're from both sides. So, But because of that, that doesn't mean that we just strictly do everything that's like Chicano or just straight up Mexican culture right. related, right? Because yeah. there is a lot of kids that, are from this town that don't grow up that way. They, they don't grow up with, with a whole lot of the Mexican culture uh, in their families, you know, because, you know, assimilation is a mofo when it comes to our culture. Um, so, so a lot of times, you know, families do assimilate. And so kids aren't really raised with the Mexican culture part. So that's kind of what Mashwin and Grifty are. They're, they're um, Grifty. We see, we're going to, you're going to see more of Grifty, Grifty's family. Uh, his Grif, his family is more of the, the Chicano side of it and everything. So that's where he gets a lot of his influences. So whenever, uh, like whenever they're they're talking and stuff, they don't really talk a whole lot in Spanish. Uh, any Spanish that they do say is like slang words and, and slang phrases. Right. Um, and and again, that's just drawing from the reality of of our area and the reality of us too. You know, I'm I'm way more fluent in Spanish than Oscar is. So that kind of that's why that's kind of important in the in the story. Um, it's kind of telling a little bit of that too. You know, it's it's. It's meant to be inclusive of folks in our culture, and that just doesn't that doesn't just mean the people that only speak Spanish that are only into you know the Chicano stuff, right? you know, the Guadalupe and all that stuff, the oh, yeah. Guadalupe and everything. Um, you know, it's not just for those; it's also for the folks that say, you know it's a derogatory term, but um, but it's the folks that they call like nosabo kids, you know, the ones that don't really speak Spanish, or they call them pochos if they speak half English, half Spanish. You know, it's it's for for everybody that's that's in this culture that's. You know, born with, uh, born or raised with, uh, with their feet firmly planted on both sides of the border. You know, and, and that's why we have a lot of um, American pop culture um, infused into this very Chicano, very kind of Mexican setting. Um, it's it's because of that because we ourselves are from from both cultures, and you're going to see that more and more throughout the series. Well, you're actively kind of embracing a lot of those Hispanic stereotypes. You know, yeah. there's. Which is really kind of refreshing as a cultural lens, because uh, most of the time, kind of as you mentioned, you're getting luchadors, you're getting Day of the Dead, you're getting yeah. Mayan warriors. 
all that stuff is great. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but this feels more authentic. You know, it's grounded, especially the vernacular. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And 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 thank you for saying that. Um, that's something that we really do pride ourselves on, and that's what that's the feedback that we get from a lot of folks is that, um, you know, it sounds very natural. Um, we did uh like a little kind of a, a show and tell kind of thing, I guess that you call it. Um, in at UT in Austin, um, for a few days we worked uh with uh with the great Tim Fielder, um, to put together a comic, a twelve page comic within four days. It was part of uh. Uh, Latinx Pop Lab with a uh, professor Frederick Aldama in UT Austin, yeah, and um, yeah, so so we did kind of a little uh, um, kind of little viewing of of a preview of that comic that we did to to one of his classes, and and that's what was brought up was you know how do you do that how are you able to uh, make it sound like so authentic how do you know where to put what words where and again it's just you know thinking about how I talk to my friends uh, when I was in middle school I was a little cholo kid. So a lot of it comes from that, you know, how do I talk from, how did I talk to my friends then? And then a lot of those are still my friends now with my family interactions and then just folks in the community, how do they talk and stuff? Um, that's why a lot of um, the folks that, there's a lot of folks that have like, like thick uh, accents in the book and we spell things out phonetically. Um, like you, um, like, you know, hey you, it becomes like, hey Jew, J-O-O. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so you can hear that, you know, so it can, I guess, so I guess our, our, our really our goal is to normalize uh, you hearing that even while you're reading it, you know, um, and, and again, just for, for inclusivity's sake. Um, but, but yeah, all that stuff is, is, it's, it's just comes natural. It's, it's, you know, you, you write about what you know, and we know about our folks, about our people, about our culture. Um, and that, and that's why it does come out that way. That's why it's, it's, it comes out uh, as naturally as it, as it sounds. Um, of course, you know, there's, and uh, actually let me, let me backtrack. Um, you also brought up the, um, the stereotypes and stuff, um, in most, in most, uh, works that you see, um, where there's a stereotype being used, uh, usually that stereotype or that person uh, that's being stereotyped, that's the butt of the joke, um, with us and what we do, uh, we use those characters and those stereotypes as part of the joke. And most of the time, you know, at least in our eyes, uh, we'll let, you know, the readers decide, but. Um, at least in our eyes, you know, we're, um, we're kind of building up that, that person that's being stereotyped or what have you. Um, you know, we do it on our, in our own special way, but it's not anything to be like mean or anything. Just like, Hey, this is what this is, you know, and this is why the stuff around it is funny. Not necessarily that particular stereotype. Yeah. Was there ever any like representational pressure, you know, kind of as a, a Latinx creator, you know, that, okay, you didn't do this Mexican enough or something like that, you know? There's, um, there's been those thoughts, especially as we got into the indie comic space, you know, because we start, we, we started this comic book in earnest in 2013, um, the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, I think the first, uh, the first issue was done or the first 48 page issue was done. Um, so we weren't really thinking about a whole lot of that then. Um, Things did change, though, you know, socially in the country. Things started to change as we were developing the, the story. Um, yeah. So we became more aware of what our role might be in the future in that. And, you know, if you look at some of the early, like, scripts that we had for, like, Mesh Money Griffith animations and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's stuff that, that you know, was funny for the time, but now it, it wouldn't really be acceptable, um, mm-hmm. or at least we don't think. So um, So we slowly started to kind of change that. Um, but by the time we got to... To, you know the first issue like like we again we were we were pretty aware of what what um what we might need to do but then after that once we realized like hey like we're we're actually on a good path like 
you know, with all the stuff that we're thinking up, like it's not, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's offensive, uh, in a certain sense, you know, because language and stuff like that, but sure. it's not, it's not offensive in a, uh, necessarily in a, in a, in a PC kind of way. Um, you know, so, so once we realize like, Hey, like we're just by doing our own thing, just by doing our thing, we're doing the right thing, you know, um, or we're doing a good thing, uh, meaning that we're not being gratuitous with some of that stuff. Um, once we realized that, then we just, we just kept going. Like, it's just, let's just make this as funny as possible. Um, so kind of the pressure has, the pressure came off, you know, we weren't living in that pressure for very long. And it's like, you know, all we, all we're doing is really just writing to our experiences, you know, and, and that's kind of it, you know, just by us push, putting this out. I mean, that's, that's representation. It could, this book could have been about pretty much whatever, um, here, but if it was set here in, in Brownsville, we're using our experience to tell that story. You know, it, it's still it's still going to be very representational. Um, so, so yeah. So to answer your question, that that pressure has kind of come and gone. Um, right now, it's really just a matter of figuring how to be able to market it to where folks aren't like that's too brown or that's not brown enough. You know, uh, once right. they read, once someone reads it, like you'll completely get it. I think. Um, but but yeah, I did right know I did. Yeah. And and man, we we had uh, reviews from someone in the UK too, and they absolutely loved it. Like, and and that's kind of what's given us confidence. You know, and I've said that a couple of times too, is you know, just like you said, I was like, you know, white dudes love it, you know. So oh, I love it, yeah. So yeah, so and and we and we and again, we're not trying to be very careful with how we write it. We're just writing what we know, and yeah. what we know is the two cultures. So so you know, so we're like, it's gonna be okay, you know, it's it's like people will get it. You know, and and yeah, so so I love it whenever anybody um, has the feedback that you've had right now. It's like cool, like people are getting it. Like we're we're we've we've done this. We've we've done a good job on this. You know, apparently. So so yeah. So so that's uh, so that's what we're gonna do, man. Just continue to do what we're doing, and we know that we're we're. It's not gonna it's not gonna offend anyone in in the way that things usually offend people. You know, it's just a funny, silly, stupid book. You know, well, yeah. Like, if if you're if you're trying to not offend anyone, you're never going to get anywhere. Anyway. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, so it's with that understanding too that we have the confidence to just keep going because we're we're nowhere. We know we're not a you know like that. You know, I mean, I could be kind of a jerk, more of a jerk than Oscar, right? But uh, but no, but we're not like we're not a holes like that. You know, we're 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 about we're about just folks being folks and just having a good time, man. And that's the ultimate goal with this book is make people laugh. You know, it's like Roger Rabbit said, you know, that was Roger Rabbit was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. And that's always stuck with me is, you know, his goal was make the world laugh, you know? So, so that's, that's kind of the the purpose with this story is, is with Mastermind Grifties, make the world laugh. Was there, was there a turning point? I mean, imagine working under kind of the, the umbrella of the, the Chispa imprint would, would soften any of those concerns, right? To a degree, because there's a whole bunch of things coming out. It can be viewed more culturally holistic, you know, right? if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it definitely fits in line with, with what she's was trying to do, which is not just make um, like Latino based or Chicano based uh, works, um, but make stuff that's, that's different. You know, that, that you, the type of things that you don't really see on the shelf. And right now, you know, comedies, like who's really doing comedy books? Like, legit comedy books you know yeah you have books that have humor in it and stuff like that but who's doing legit comedy books not very many people um so so this is kind of a, a little niche niche area that i think that we can uh we can really corner and uh, hopefully we get you know enough support you know with this first issue to where we can continue to to bring more and more but but again 
once people read this book, like they're all about it, man. That 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 and again, that's the most important thing is to just get this book in people's hands and 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 get them to to read it. At least read the first, you know, six seven pages or something. And then you're definitely going to be hooked. If you read the first, though, was it like two or three? You know, up to that that call to action. You know that uh, Oscar says. You know, once you get to that page where it's the call to action, that's where you're like. Either okay, I'm going to be on board with yep. this, or I don't like this. You know? Yeah, yeah. If, yeah that was that. Okay, I'm in. This is going to be. Yeah, fun. yeah. If you're good with that, like, yeah, you're going to enjoy the book. Yeah. All right, that seems like a good spot to take a quick break and pay some bills. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what a Yeti likes to drink in the morning? It's no mystery. Just like you, Yetis enjoy a great cup of coffee. That's why Comic Book Yeti has teamed up with Flint, Michigan-based Rootless Coffee Company for our second year of collaboration, featuring breakout indie comic star Lane Boyd. Lane created their own unique Yeti design that is featured on every bag of our limited medium roast Brazilian origin coffee. Head on over to rootlesscoffee.com to snag a bag before they are all gone. He wanted me to tell you it has notes of dark chocolate, dried fruits, almonds, and cherry. Because our Yeti is bougie. We're back. Well, let's get in kind of the visuals a little bit. So how did you and Oscar kind of come up with how you wanted to to present uh, the characters and kind of the layouts and stuff? Mm -hmm. You mentioned kind of the serial animation feel to it. You know, Mm -hmm. the Looney Tunes, that sort of thing. Right, yeah, so... So that's what I've always had in mind when it comes to to like the artists is, you know, they always have those really cool, like, like static backgrounds and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, so in, so whenever I, I look at whatever Oscar sends and he's like, you know, what do you think about this? Um, I always kind of have that in the back of my head. Um, but as far as the way that the characters look, um, Oscar started kind of doodling them a, a while back. I think it was in 99. We were still in high school. Wow. Um, and, and, and yeah, in 99, he, uh, he did the first sketches of what later became Mashbone. And it was just a little caveman dude. Um, it was, I think, a couple of years later uh, that he did the first, like, grifty sketch, which was kind of a sketch of a, of a dude asleep on the couch, which was Oscar. You know, it was kind of Oscar drew kind of a, a, a picture of himself. And then that started getting developed and turned into Mashbone and Grifty. Um, as far as how they're drawn and stuff, uh, originally a lot of, there was a lot of influence from like, um, uh, gorillas, uh, yeah. from, from that style. And then also, uh, like the style of like, uh, like Paul Dini, like the, the Batman, the animated series kind of stuff. Um, there, there was a little bit of influence from that. And so that ended up kind of, uh, um, morphing into Oscar's own style. Um, but it's, but it's a little more, they're a little more, I guess, kind of, uh, kind of blocky type characters, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes, you know, some of the features are exaggerated and things like that, but, um, but yes, it's for that purpose. It was, it's just, you know, the style that, that evolved from getting, having influence from the, the way the gorillas were drawn. And then from, from Batman, the animated series just kind of went from there. Um, as far as the town itself, a lot of it is modeled after our hometown of Brownsville, Texas. Uh, but we've lived together in, in a lot of different cities. Um, so like I said, in Houston, we were both going to college. Uh, he ended up moving to Austin, and then a few years later, I moved to Austin for a bit. Um, so we had a, kind of our own little adventures together. Um, originally, Matchbone and Grifty was kind of uh, semi-autobiographical of, right. of our adventures in Houston because we used to like, you know, we we're we we're college kids, you know, we'd be drinking and and cavorting and all that kind of stuff. So then that ended up turning into okay, this book's not going to be about that. It's going to be about a little bit of that, but it's mostly they're trying to be detectives and stuff. Um, so so that's where. So that's where a lot of uh, so that's where we get a lot of the information that we use to make all those backgrounds and, and all those little Easter eggs and stuff. 
Um, now I will tell you in issue one, the, uh, the henchmen or a luch, um, those guys, uh, came directly from, uh, 1980s narco movies that I grew up watching. Um, and there was, and they always looked like that. It was always the aviators, the, like the flannel or plaid shirt and the jeans and stuff. So, so we yep. basically made like an army of, of those guys, you know, um, with the kind of like the, the, the kind of almost mullet kind of haircut and stuff. Um, so that's where, where that kind of, that came from. Um, but yeah, man, we just, we get from different places. Most of it's from, from our own personal experiences. Um, Hey, you remember that guy that did, Oh yeah. Well, maybe we should use that for this. Hey, remember that movie, that one weird looking dude, maybe we should use it for this. Um, and also, uh, one last thing on, on that, um, the, the character of the client, uh, Felipe, uh, he is actually based on a very good friend of ours, uh, mentor, and he was our uh, trainer in wrestling. Uh, we started training for wrestling our senior year in high school. His name was uh, uh, Piston Perez. Um, and the first client, their first client in that story, that's that's who that's based off of. And we've used him not just for that, uh, but for some animation stuff as well, because the dude was just a character. Like the the man himself was, was a, a character and his his look was just pretty iconic to us. You know, just kind of the shaggy great hair, the great mustache and kind of a stout dude, you know. Um, so that's where that one came from. And I bring that up uh, because uh, he just recently passed away. Uh, so uh, so just a shout out to Piston for uh, kind of guiding us uh, at, at our beginning, the beginnings of our storytelling, which was at first through wrestling, you know, through actually being in the ring and stuff. But that's where that where that uh, that design came from. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had imagined that Eluch was was a direct correlation with wrestling. And yeah. um, I did not know, did not know that that is actually German for suck. Oh, Which really? It's my swearing capacity. <laughs> so level up. That's awesome. Heck yeah. I need to now. Yeah. Challenge accepted. There you That's go. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the color work in the book I thought was great because, you know, it's, yeah. it's very stylized. It stays, you know, primary and secondary. Yes. Um, there's not a lot of variation in the panels, kind of except for the word bubbles and the onomatopoeia, which really jumps, uh -huh. which makes for a really smooth reading experience. And it was way more. It was easier to read the character expressions and really focus on them, which right, I thought right. was great. Yeah, yeah, the um, yeah, the coloring that was that was all Oscar, man. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that started, uh, but once he did it, it just it just looked cool. And and kind of the main color for the book is uh, for all the books for all the stories uh, is going to be kind of that that blue, that light blue with with like the different uh, different tones and stuff. Um, and then whenever something goes batshit crazy. Um, then that's when we start using the reds and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, so we use it a lot for, for the, for the mood, for the tones and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done a really, really good job with that for sure. Okay. Now, now I'm going to get into wrestling. So you guys are, you're practicing wrestlers. Is that correct then? Or? Uh, yeah. So Oscar more than myself, Oscar's been doing it steadily, um, year in, year out for the last nine years. Uh, he wow. started with this, um, um, this part of his wrestling journey started with a, a group out of Austin called Party World Wrestling. Um, they were basically a bunch of theater kids that loved wrestling, and they started putting the shows together. Um, then Oscar came into the picture, and since he had experience already, uh, he helped to start to uh, to train them um, to help them work safe. You know, to to keep themselves safe, keep yourself from getting injured. It wasn't no crazy, super high flying stuff or anything like that, um, but just for what they were doing, because um, it, uh, it was very campy, very like. 80s wrestling you know it's, it's it was theater in a, in a wrestling ring uh or it is theater in a wrestling ring. um but but yeah so that's where he started with that um he did that i think for like six years or so with them 
Uh, now there's there's a couple other uh, groups in Austin, Slam Portal, um, which is a really, really cool comedy wrestling troupe. And then there's also Fight Opera that just recently started as well. Uh, so he's been working in primarily in the Austin area. Uh, but we started when we were uh, when we we're in, in high school. Um, our our senior year, whenever senior year first started, we weren't allowed to to wrestle because we were the promoter said we were, you know, we we're underage. We we're 17. Uh, so he wouldn't let us wrestle. But we were still part of the show. Uh, we got to do like three shows for this for for that first promoter. Uh, that promotion kind of went under, and then that spring of senior year, uh, one, we found out one of our buddies, uh, uh, Louis uh, Luis, he uh, his dad was a promoter, which his dad was that that gentleman Piston that I told you about. Um, after one of the shows, like the tradition is in lucha, is whenever uh, whenever a match is over or after all the matches are over, all the little kids go into the ring and they start mm-hmm. jumping around and stuff like that. So, so Luis, he was like, "Hey, you guys want to get in the ring?" We're like, "Sure." So we got in there and we started doing a routine that um, that we did when we would, we would do backyard wrestling, um, and it caught his dad's attention. It caught Luis' dad's attention, Piston's attention, and uh, he came into the ring and he like scurried all the kids out. He goes, "Hugginson, Hugginson," you know, he's like, "Get that out of here." Um, and he's like, "Do it again," and he told us to do it again. We did it again, and he's like, "Okay, like let me help you out a little bit. Let me change. Let's change some stuff up." And on the spot, he started like training us. Um, he took me through a routine with him and it was intimidating because he was doing like, he was doing the stuff we weren't doing, which was the loud sounds like, Orale, andale, you know, with shoulder block, clothesline, stuff like that. And we were just quiet while we were doing our routine, but he added that to it. Um, so it just, the relationship just kind of grew from there. We started wrestling for him right before the year was over before our, our senior, our graduation, I should say. Um, and, uh, and I wrestled there uh, for a couple months. Um, I moved to Houston, Oscar stayed there for another year wrestling. Um, then after that, once Oscar was also in Houston, we would drive back to Brownsville, uh, every few months, uh, to do, ma- uh, to do matches for Piston. Sometimes it was just on a whim. Hey, we're going to be in town. Do you have a, you know, you guys wrestling this weekend? Yeah, we got a spot for you. And we'd be the first match. Um, so after a few years, I kind of stopped that Oscar moved to Austin. And then that's where he got hooked up with those, uh, PWR guys. Um, and I just recently came back actually last year. Um, I came back for two matches, um, I'm sorry, this past year, I came back for two matches, uh, one of them in Austin, the first Slam Portal event, and then one of them was for Piston's like, birthday event uh, this past, uh, this last March, um, or I'm sorry, last March, last uh, 2022, sorry. Um, so, so those were the two events that I did, and so now I'm trying to get to a wrestling school here in, uh, in, in Brownsville, or I'm sorry, in McAllen, which is close to Brownsville, and I get with them so that I can kind of uh, shake the, the rust off and, and start, start doing more shows here. But but yeah, man, we're we're heavily involved when it comes to wrestling. We always have been, um, and and the more I think about it, I think it's just because we're we just naturally want to be storytellers, and I think we naturally have been storytellers um, since we were kids and stuff. Again, growing up separately for you know until we were in eighth grade, um, you know, both our families say the same things about us. We were kind of the extra kids, you know, we were a little too a, a really extra. In our friend groups, before we started hanging out a lot in high school, we were also the ones that were the most extra in our in our separate friend groups there. So we just kind of linked up, and and yeah, it's just the love of storytelling, man. It's 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 the love of goofiness, like comics and wrestling. They just to us, they just go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just it's it's insanity, it's calamity, it's comedy, it's drama. It's it's you can make them both of those mediums. You can make anything you want to be, um, and and the fandoms for both are are insane too especially when it comes to wrestling, man. Uh, there's nothing like a hot wrestling crowd. When you're in the middle of that ring, you're getting them to kind of do what you want, what you need them to do, boo, cheer, whatever. Like, yeah. that's the ultimate. It's, it's, it's such a good feeling. 
you know, because you know that they're enjoying themselves. You know, you know that you're doing your job right and they're going along with it. And if they're loud, that means that they're enjoying themselves or that they're very, very drunk, but they're still enjoying themselves. That's <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got to ask then, um, you mentioned Bret Hart. Who's your all-time favorite? All-time favorite, Eddie Guerrero. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and for the longest time, it was Bret Hart. Uh, Bret and Owen were kind of like number one and number 1.5. Uh, but, but Eddie's just, I, I miss him so much. Um, he just came in and he just, he just tore it, tore it up, man, for, for Chicanos, for, for the Raza, man. Like when they say representation matters, guys, like, man, it, it matters so, so much. Um, because we didn't have anybody like Eddie before. Um, I mentioned us, um, on a, on a, on a TikTok that I saw, um, you know, this guy named Savio Vega, who was a Puerto Rican wrestler. He came back, uh, for a special event that WWE just had. And I remembered when he was kind of the only representation that I saw in wrestling. So I clung to that guy. I was like, Savio's my dude, you know? Um, he's a, you know, he's, he's an honorary Mexican, I thought, you know? Um, and he would come out with a vest, Puerto Rican and Mexican flag and stuff, you know? So showing, you know, that he was, a, you know, he's about the Latinos. But then when Eddie came along, he was a different cat. Um, you know, you can see it from the beginning. He was just such a great wrestler, such a good high flyer. Um, the stories he told in the ring, like he, he could work stiff if he needed to, he could do high flying technical wrestling. He could do everything. Uh, he had a very distinct look too. Um, you know, I was talking about the mullets and, and the aviators and stuff like this dude had this gnarly mullet and he had this, you know, this make, I'm a mustache dude. And mm -hmm. he just looked like a Vato street from Brownsville and he's from El Paso, you know? So, so all that stuff, it just spoke to me. Um, but, but then again, like I said, you know, he wasn't just that it wasn't just, you know, just the look and stuff. He was just a great freaking wrestler. And as you grow older, you realize just how funny this dude is, how great he is. And then after his passing, you get even older and you realize like, man, like this guy, everybody loved Eddie Guerrero the way that I loved Eddie Guerrero. And for the same reasons, you know? Um, and so, so yeah, so that's why I mean, uh, um, by like, I miss him a lot because I think that the good guys in wrestling, they're coming back. But I think that, that, that was missing for a long time in wrestling. Uh, was Eddie's type and Owen too, you know, he died tragically as well. And he was the same type of cat, you know, he was very beloved and he did his, the best, you know, he was, he was one of the best in the ring. Um, I was explaining to a buddy of mine a few nights ago, um, where, when we were watching that special event, I was, uh, he's, he's not really, uh, too informed with like old school wrestling. So I was talking about Owen and I was telling him that the reason that I loved him and this kind of a, a thing that I keep in mind whenever we're, you know, whenever we're writing, whenever we're doing the comic too, um, is that when Owen, from the time that his music hit, until the time he left, he was entertaining. Uh, he came out, uh, he was the, he was, for the most part, he was a bad guy. He was always against his brother, Brett. So he'd come out and he'd like yell into the camera, you know, there's no mic, right? It's just the camera. And like, I'm better than you, Brett. You know, I'm the best. And da, 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 da. he'd go into the ring and he'd antagonize the crowd. He'd work his butt off and put on a great wrestling match while antagonizing the crowd. Match is over. Whether he wins or loses, he antagonizes the crowd again. And then, you know, he leaves and everybody's satisfied, whether you're cheering for him or booing for him, like you've been doing it the entire time he's been out there. So, so that kind of stuff is important um, whenever we're creating. It's like, how do we do it from beginning to end? How do we make it super satisfying? You know, and, and one of the things that we do is we try to put in a joke, either every panel or every other panel. There's some kind of joke in there, whether it's visual, whether it's dialogue or whatever. Um, so, so that's what I meant earlier by, you know, wrestling has kind of influenced um, how we write, how we create. Um, it's just, you know, that, that feeling, uh, whatever, you know, I like, I want that feeling that I get when I want, when I watch wrestling, when I watch a great wrestling match, that's the same feeling I want someone to have whenever they're reading our books. So, so that's, that's where a lot of that comes from. Well, I mean, kudos to you both. Cause 
I don't think people realize how hard wrestling really is. I didn't realize how hard wrestling was really. I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> my favorite growing up were the road warriors and yeah. I used to love Mr. Fuji. And oh yeah. So I grew up and then I realized, Oh shit, Mr. Fuji is actually from my hometown. So I ended up working <laughs> with him in a club. He would like tear tickets when I was bouncing back in the day. Okay. Um, and he had his own wrestling school at that time. So we go out there and, you know, the bouncers walk in with the swag, right? Like, okay, we got this. This is not hard. This is going to be yeah. so easy. No, yeah. kick our ass. <laughs> uh, it is tough. Yeah, it's um, one of those things that, man, you, you got to love it. You know, we did an interview with uh, with someone uh, a few weeks ago or a couple weeks ago. And they asked, you know, you know, you guys, when you're out there, you know, because he's seen videos of us wrestling. He's like, you know, you guys don't look like spring chickens. You, know, you guys don't, don't look like young dudes. Like, why do you... Why do you risk it when you go out there? And, and it's and it's just one of those things that you do because you just love it. You know, and you grew up watching it. You wanted to be that. And then, you know, you find yourself being that. And then it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's ultimate, man. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, it is a lot of work. It's, it's very difficult. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, you talked about chickens. So have you ever been to a cockfight? And it is relevant. It, you know, it's a little, <laughs> right? And we're talking about roosters, just to be uh, clear. I mean, no judgment. <laughs> I've been to that kind of show too. But you know. I've been all kinds of, no. Um, no, uh, actually, I haven't been to a cockfight. But um, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Because um, I, I don't know if I've ever really told um, in an interview, like, what the origins of that story were. Um, so I haven't been to a cockfight. But. One of my best friends from middle school, uh, from from my cholo days, uh, still one of my best friends. Um, he, him, and his dad and his and his nephew, um, they raised chickens. Like they, like some of them were chickens, some of them were um, were roosters and stuff. And and one day when I was visiting from Houston, I went to go visit that friend of mine, and his nephew was there. You know, we were drinking and stuff, and there was my buddy Damien, his nephew Frank, and my buddy Rick, and uh, we we're just drinking, having a good time, and then Frank brings out his rooster. He's super proud of it. He's like, "Hey, have you seen it?" And I'm like, "No, I, don't, I haven't seen a picture." Or whatever. He brings it out, so we're there just chilling with the rooster, just talking all casual. Then we start taking pictures with with the rooster, right? Like, make like just holding it, but making like if it's drinking with us and stuff like that. Um, then he puts it away. But um, once those pictures were developed, and we started thinking about Mashbone and Grifty, because this, you know, I said pictures get developed. So yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it was it was back in the uh, disposable camera days. But yeah. once the once we developed those picks and stuff, and the and you know the brain starts going, um, then that's where we came up with the idea for this story of Bashbone and Grifty, and and that's why it involves like roosters and stuff, um, is is because of that experience with my friends and you know growing up uh, as well, like they always had like all kinds of different animals. They had like little goats and chickens and stuff. So 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 I was very much exposed to to all, to most of that kind of stuff, uh, all except for the for the the, the fighting, the gamecock fighting. But, uh, I, I grew up with that. Like my grandfather took me to a buddy of his, you know, I got the full education growing up in East. Oh, really? Oh, man. Spurs yeah. Yeah. That's, that shit's crazy. You it's know? nuts, man. Yeah. And and when you're young, like you see it and you're just, you know, you see folks getting excited over it and you're like, yeah, 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 it's cool. But then you grow older and you're like, man, it's so messed up. Yeah, so, it really is. But it really yeah. Is. Oh, it cracks me up. People in East Tennessee will, will still consider that a legitimate date night. Business, Re so. Really? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. It's yeah. a unique date night. That, that's back home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did this end up with uh, Chispa anyway? You know, what was the connection? What was the bridge there? Yeah. So so Chispa, like um, in a nutshell, it, it came out from from just developing good relationships. Just um, and kind of I guess this kind of piece of advice for anybody out there that's looking to start in, in any kind of creative endeavor like this. 
um, we just we just uh, made really good relationships with with uh, with people that we interacted with at conventions and stuff. Um, so in this case, it was Hector Rodriguez and um, and it's David Bowles uh, who are the the co editors for Chispa. So we started, um, like I said, we started doing the comic in earnest in in 2013. Uh, we didn't actually start printing and doing conventions until 2018, uh, the beginning of 2018. Um, so we did a we did several of them, you know, 2018 going to 2019. So fast forward to summer of 2019, and we did um, we did our first convention, our first Texas Latino Comic Con convention, which is Hector Rodriguez convention. Um, we did that one. We went to an after party and stuff, and you know, we just got to to chatting and everything. And before we we went there, um, me and Oscar had been talking about this idea to kind of do the Latino uh, image comics, you know, because you know it was it was it's. It was whenever everything was really bubbling up uh, regarding like representation and all that stuff. It was really kind of just blowing up. Um, and so our idea was, you know, for marketing, you know, like, you know, what if you have a group of five creators, five Latino creators, but they can't all afford to go to these conventions, right? So you have your point person or, you know, maybe three of them are able to go. So you have those three folks that are selling books for all five. You know, and and so that way you're getting you're gaining some revenue, you're gaining some notoriety because your name's being put out there, uh, and then maybe the next one that you go to, those other folks can't make it. So stuff like that. So that was kind of the idea, um, you know, just more visibility for for Latino creators. Um, and what we didn't know is that Hector and David had already been speaking to, I believe, it was to Mucho Mas about a project like that. Um, so by the end of the night, you know, I had gotten we had some drinks in us, and I got up on my uh, on my soapbox and was talking about this idea and. You know, the fiery, you know, speech and everything like that. Um, so that kind of because of that, you know, Hector kind of kept us in the back of his mind. Um, but as we started releasing more stuff and he enjoyed that stuff, once it came time to actually start putting together Chispa Comics, um, they reached out to us and they said, hey, you know, your book is super unique. It's very Latino. You know, it's very accessible. Um, you know, would you guys be interested in being part of this project? And of course, we said, hell yeah. Um, because, you know, was one of the things is also, you know, the trust that we had in, in, in those guys, too. They're our peers and stuff. So so we felt that it was it was a perfect fit, you know, um, in a former life, um, you know, former corporate life. Um, I was in all kinds of uh, like operations management, general management and stuff like that. I did marketing for different places that that I worked at and everything. Um, so. So I always liked being like on the ground floor of things. I was a, a trainer, a facilitator. Um, so these companies, whenever they have new systems or new policies, big overhaul of, of the way they did business, um, any market that I was in was always the first one to get that new stuff. And I loved it because it's brand new. You know, it's like you get mm -hmm. to work out the kinks and stuff like that. So that kind of went into being super excited about this project, too, because it's something new. It's something that, you know, we can help to to kind of drive, you know, if, if our book does good, and you know, that means that the project's doing good. Um, so, so yeah, that's how we came into it was, was with, uh, developing those relationships with them, having good work, having completed work too. Uh, cause we had released three 48 page and one sixty page book by that time. Um, so we, we already had some stuff ready to go and, you know, we, we felt that it was a good way to be able to expand beyond the, you know, just hundreds of people that, um, that read our stuff, you know, now it's going to be a nationwide and worldwide reach that, that we'd be able to get. So that's why I was saying earlier, it's very important for us to have people read this book, read at least the first few pages, because man, we firmly believe that once you do, like you're going to get hooked, 
you know, and, um, but, but yeah, but going back to, to the Chispa deal, that's, that's, that's how it started. Just, uh, just having good work, um, them knowing that we were kind of up here mentally in the, in the same, um, the same uh, plane that they were, um, thinking this, the same way. So, so yeah, it just, it just became a natural thing. Like just, it, it made sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, I talked to David and Hector a couple months back about Black Demon Tales before mm-hmm. the movie was coming out and everything. Yeah. So are we going to kind of see... Is Mashwood and Grippy ever going to end up in the larger Chispa continuum, like with the thirteen, like a cameo? You know, or you know, we've we've talked about that. Um, we first want to get the stuff developed a little more. Um, the starting point of of everything, you know, of all the projects that that are going for Chispa. But but yeah, we we talked about the possibility of that of like crossover. So that's definitely on the table. Um, will it come to fruition? Who knows? But but that's definitely something that's on the table, and we'd be excited to do for sure. That'd be awesome. So are you going to have anything else to do with like other projects coming out with Chispa? Yeah, actually, um, I just finished uh, writing one of the uh, one of the one shots for the 13. There's going to be 13 separate uh, books for these Mesoamerican based uh, superheroes. And the one that I got that I, that I wrote for uh, her name is uh, Zoe Vidal, uh, a.k.a. Revive. Um, and her uh, superpower is uh, basically she um, she can't she cannot die. And um, and she has the ability to bring people back to life that have been uh, that haven't been dead for more than 24 hours. So if okay. it's within 24 hours, uh, yeah, she can bring them back to life. Um, so so, yeah, so it's it's cool. It's, it's going to be something where we're going to uh, be uh, be uh, playing in the sandbox of uh, Mesoamerican folklore, uh, Mesoamerican mythology. And that's something that has been out there, but I don't think it's been done in the way that 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 we're planning on doing it. Um, so yeah, this is a big project, man. It's again, it's 13 one shots that are going to be coming out. And then, um, and then more after that, you know, that's, that's the hopes. Um, but it's been a really fun, uh, really fun experience so far, um, to work on this project because, you know, I can't wait to see how everything's going to, going to connect, you know, going, going forward after these one shots, man. It's, 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 again, it's another thing where, you know, ground floor on a, on a new project, you know, it's, it's in my wheelhouse and that just, that's the stuff that I love. You know, I, uh, I'm starting to come to terms with the fact that, uh, I probably have like ADHD and I get super bored really easily, you know, <laughs> yeah. with certain things. So, um, so, so yeah, so this kind of stuff really excites me, man. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to see where, where it all goes. And they're, if my understanding was correct, they're going to start the rollout at San Diego. Is that, is that still the plan? That, that's, that's the, that's the plan right now. Yeah. The first one uh, to be coming out, to be debuting in July, the first, uh, the first of the books. I'm not sure what, uh, who's going to be the first one out the gate, uh, first ones out the gate, but but yeah, that's that's the plan. Super exciting. Well, if you could work on one established IP, what would it be and why? Ooh, one established IP. Hmm. I'd probably say I'd probably work on like New Mutants, okay. you know, X Men. Um, yeah, because that's always been my my jam. You know, since I was a kid, like Jim Jim Lee's uh, Jim Lee and Claremont's first few issues of the the nineties X Men. It just blew my ten year old mind away, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's and that was pretty much when I decided like I'm gonna make comics. You know, I I was okay at at uh, at drawing, you know, and but I started really getting into the the writing side of it more. Um, but but yeah, I think X Men would would definitely be uh, the one that I want to write. Can't go wrong with X Men. That's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, All right. right. Well, my last question is about the hustle, and you kind of gave people a little advice earlier, but um, this is your piece of advice to. The aspiring comics creator or someone considering a career in the field that might be listening today. So what do you got for them? Um, yeah. So don't be afraid to bet on yourself. You know, definitely try to make sure that you have, you know, when you're doing it, when you're 
when you go into this field, uh, do it for the love, but make sure that you have some kind of safety net too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, just that's pretty much it. Just, just do it for the love. Um, you know, don't be afraid to bet on yourself. Uh, take chances, you know, because, you know, you might think that your idea is, is silly or it's already been done, but, you know, nobody is you. So nobody knows how to interpret your idea better than you. So just put it out there into the world and don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to, to fail at all. You know, I've, I've failed many times in, in developing this, just in the writing, you know, like I said earlier, telling, you know, sending something to Oscar and he's like, I don't get it. Like, well, that's a failure. <laughs> like, let me go back to the drawing board, you know? So don't, don't be afraid to fail. Those are little fails, but don't be afraid of it, man. This is a big chance that we took with the whole Chispa thing and all that. But, but, you know, if, if, if we do great, great. If we don't, well, at least we tried it. You know, that way there, there's never that question of, of, you know, what may have been, you know, in, in this kind of industry, like, it's a creative industry. Like, don't let that happen. You know, you create what you want to create. You put it out there, you know, and then accept feedback. I guess that's my last part is definitely accept feedback, accept constructive criticism, listen to anybody and everybody that's been there before, you know, listen to them. You don't always have to take their advice, but listen to them and then just see what works for you. Yeah. Be the sponge. Be the sponge. Absolutely. That's how you get ahead. Well, where can people find you online or Five Meets online? Yeah, so on Instagram and Twitter, we are at Five Meets. So at and then the number five, M-E-A-T-S. On Facebook, we haven't been on Facebook too much, but that's The uh, the Five Meets. And we also have a website where we sell uh, some merch. That's just the fivemeetscomics.com. And my uh, personal Instagram is at Rolo5Meets. Um, so I'm usually posting stuff in stories, not a whole lot of just regular posts, but but yeah, um, anybody that has any questions or wants to know more about the book or anything, feel free to hit us up anytime. We're, we're, we're never too busy to, to, to talk to someone. All right. And Meshwood and Grifty drops in June, right? In June, on June the 14th. So uh, so yeah, uh, today actually is the day of, of this recording as uh, the last day uh, to pre-order. But once they go on shelves on June 14th, make sure you go out there and you buy it. Buy 10 copies um, yep. for you and nine of your closest friends. Have a laugh together. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The best way to support representation is to buy it. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then we can look out. We don't know the schedule, but obviously later in the year, you'll have the, the 13 one shot as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, I'm not exactly sure when that one's going to come out. It may be end of the year, maybe a beginning of next year. But but yeah, just definitely keep an eye out for that. We'll, we'll be posting stuff as we get closer to that. Awesome. Well, Rolando, thanks for coming on the show and hanging out with me today. It's been a lot of no fun. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Byron. Uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, great experience. Yeah, 100%. Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Colin Bocchetti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.